Let us continue to listen for the word of God as it comes to us from the Gospel of St. Luke. Jesus, filled with the power of the Spirit, returned to Galilee, and a report about him spread through all the surrounding country. He began to teach in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. When he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of God is upon me, because Yahweh has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. God has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of God's favor. And Jesus rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. Then he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. The heavens are telling the glory of God. God's big book, the whole universe, shows forth beauty, goodness, joy, grandeur, and awesome power in fearsome storms, blizzards, thunder, and lightning, and stark reality of desert expanse where no water comes. The glory of God. How do we mere mortals live amid all this glory? The psalm goes on to tell us, the precepts of God are right, rejoicing the heart. Should God's glory be too much for us, or hard to read, God gives us words, the law, to tell us that we live amid God's glory by loving God and loving our neighbor. Many, many words, decrees, commandments, but boiled down to only one, really. Love your God with all your heart, which you cannot do without loving your neighbor as yourself. The ancient Israelites were astounded that their God would give them the law, tell them clearly what they were to do. 
at least they were at the very first, for they, like us, found keeping the law harder than rejoicing that God should treat them so specially as to give it to them. Jesus' inner life was nurtured on these words. Think of the way he would go off into the desert to commune with God in prayer. Luke's gospel tells us that just before beginning his preaching and teaching ministry, Jesus had spent 40 days and 40 nights in the desert right before our passage this morning. His heart is full of both the big book and the words of his tradition. And so he reads to them from Isaiah words like, to let the oppressed go free. Now, the congregation at Nazareth is so comfortable with Isaiah's words. These are old-time favorite words of a someday notion, words of a distant hope grown smooth by repetition, hundreds of years of repetition since exile time. Many generations have passed since the prophet spoke to them in real time. So they are comfortable until Jesus comments. Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. So why was this comment so disturbing that morning? Well, I'll tell you. When a prophet speaks, God is sending a message that demands response. A yes or a no which in turn has consequences. So the are you with me or against me moment has come. Now perhaps for us a pale, pale version of this will come for some in Iowa and New Hampshire in the coming weeks. Speculation and polling will be over. Votes will be counted. Futures may well be determined, perhaps of more consequence than we realize, given the power of the office at stake. And some may say that politics has no place in this pulpit, any pulpit, but if I listen to Jesus speaking Isaiah's words, I hear hopes and dreams of a political nature. The year of the Lord's favor, he declares. You know what that means? It means all debts, as in real cash money debts, are forgiven. This is, this is not a spiritual wonderfulness. This is real. And you can read about it, believe it or not, in this congregation, 
the book of Leviticus, chapter 25. Every 50 years, it was decreed that all Jews would release to freedom any Jewish slave they happened to have, as well as all the property that had switched hands got sent back to the original owner. The families got to start again, fresh start. And that is a very big deal. Now, scholars say that this never actually happened. <laughs> but the fact that it was part of the Torah, part of the, the very founding documents of the Jewish faith, means that that ideal was there. It was there in the tradition. It was there in the hope. It was there balancing out that very human desire of each of us to just build a bigger barn to keep all the stuff that we've amassed, regardless of where it came from. So what would good news to the poor be for us today? Should Jesus stride down this aisle today and insist that the scripture has been fulfilled in our hearing? What will we read in tomorrow's Chronicle? We know the bad news, inequality, poor men, women, and children sleeping in cars or on the sidewalk, hungry babies, refugees fleeing war, migrants seeking work, war, rumors of war, terror and bombings, urban violence, dead black teens in the street. We know the bad news. But what is Jesus' good news today? This is a real question for me. When I crave the wisdom of old age, but struggle, with the temptation to despair as we face so much bad news. So as many an older woman may do, I've been revisiting books that I read 30 years ago. And some of them have been written by Mae Sarton, who most of you may not even know, but she's precious to me. She's a poet, a novelist, a memoirist, who was born in Europe in 1912, came to America as a child, and made her home in New England. One journal she published was called At 70. <laughs> so it caught my eye in my, this, my 70th year, and I picked it up to read. In the entry for Friday, March 18th, 1983, Sarton reacts to the New Bedford gang rape, which were, if you were alive at that time, you will remember. It was a horror that made the national news. A group of young men, one woman, a pool table in a bar. And much 
of the reaction to the event was to blame the woman. Sartre writes, have things always been as bad as this? Or are we paying now for the neglect of souls? 1983, 33 years ago. Current media has only intensified the horrors we read and hear about today. Sarton's question has resonance for us, I think, because of our particular charism here, our call from God, which is to tend the holy. We encourage here a life of prayer and reflection and honesty before God. Many of us individually carry out ministries of justice and mercy, but all together we have made central to our common life the intentional care of souls. I hear Jesus telling us this morning to renew our commitment to this ministry, to honor its importance in a country which seems to continue to neglect our souls, which Sartan identified so many years ago. Perhaps in a time of fear and terror-mongering in our political arena, our call is to tend the holy with more resonance. As we do that, the joy abounds in this circle. Forgiveness is offered and received. Even money is given beyond our belief as we challenge ourselves to deeper stewardship of our resources. Personal oppression lifts as we hear echoes of God's love in the words spoken here so often, God loves you more than you can dare to imagine. We learn anew why the words do not be afraid resound through our scriptures, both old and new. Fear not. In another book, Journal of a Solitude, written 10 years before in the early 70s, Sartan writes, the marvel is that there are still so many people of courage who go on fighting in spite of all these reasons for despair. She tells the story that she heard on television. Do you remember Charles Garalt on the road? No. But anyway, it was on for a lot of years. The story was this. A black man, a bricklayer named Mr. Black from North Carolina, in his 93rd year, as in 93, was flown at government 
expense to an African country in dire need of building materials and the expertise to learn how to use the, their own earth for bricks. Mr. Black showed them how to dig clay, how to make the forms, how to build whole villages at little or no expense. Sarton revels in this instance of hopeful action in a world full of doom and gloom, both for the villagers and for the old man. To see his gift used, to discover what he had to share. She says, I took it as a parable, and that is why I wept. So may the wonder of the big book call us to fall on our knees, and the courage of an old bricklayer remind us to offer whatever gift we have been given for the healing of this world our home. May we live from the center, our very souls, nurtured in this place as we tend the holy in ourselves, in others, and in the whole creation. Amen.